How do I do my taxes? What's a credit limit? Where can I find a doctor? When's the best time to move? Who can I ask about all this? And why wasn't I taught how to be an adult? Hi, I'm Kathy. And I'm Genevieve. And, and we're, we're just, just as lost as you are. Come along with us as we journey through the weird, confusing, and sometimes scary world of adulthood. Every week, we'll talk with experts and those who have been there, done that, to answer your questions and ours. And on this edutainment podcast, we'll finally learn how to be an adult. So come on. Enjoy, enjoy the, the Society, society of, of Grown-Ups. I don't know about you guys, but we love free stuff here. If you haven't heard already, we are doing our very first giveaway. One very lucky listener will have the chance to win our ultimate self-care kit created by us. Included is an essential oil diffuser, a book of positive affirmations, my personal favorite tea from David's Tea, detox bath salts, and some really cute glassware. To enter, go to our giveaway post on our Instagram at Society of Grown Ups Podcast and make sure you enter ASAP because contest ends March 31st at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And we will announce the winner later that day. Now, on to the episode. Hi, guys. Welcome to another week of Society of Grown Ups with your hosts. I'm Kathy. I'm Genevieve. And this is one more week of figuring out how this life thing works. Today, this week was a week. Holy shit. Watching the news this week and just looking at the state of our world has been, especially being half Asian and kind of imagining what those families are going through. I I can't even find the words. Um, so here at Society of Grownups, we wanted to condemn all hatred against Asians, against all minority groups. And... But let's just love each other, guys. Also gun control. I mean, we just wanted, we just thought it was important to talk about. Yeah. Um, because as great and as light and wonderful as we want this show to be, you know, things happen in this world that are important to talk about. The episode won't be about it, obviously, but we did want to bring it up. We, our hearts go out to the families and all the victims and, you know, any, any minority that faces hate in any moment ever. I also want to point out really quickly that it is not the China virus. It is the coronavirus. It is racist to call it the China virus. And it is ignorant to not look at how Asian communities have been directly impacted by calling it the China virus. I'm in Vancouver right now, and I I believe I read a police report that said violence against Asians has gone up over 400%. 400%. Just stop Asian hate. Stop fucking hating people. Goodbye. Yeah, you you said it best, Kathy. Like I said, we thought it was important to bring up uh, between that and the uh, David Dobrik sexual assault scandal. I've just been like, take it one day at a time. Focus on yourself. Take care of you. Yeah, don't be afraid to reach out. We have lots of resources in the descriptions for those as well. Um, but yeah take care of yourself and know that we love you and Mm. matter. Speaking of taking care of yourself, something that's really important to take care of, um, especially lately is your health. Mm -hmm. So we're very excited for our guest this week. Uh, she is a medical student. She is, uh, very forthcoming and very, uh, proactive about, you know, telling people to take care of their health, speak up for their health, which is so, so important. We were really, really happy to sit down with her. We had a great conversation regarding health and health care. 
Please note before we start, she is not a licensed physician. You know, take her advice with a grain of salt. Make sure you consult with a medical physician. Um, but she does have great advice. It's more general than specific. And with that, uh, please. The episode. Yeah. Please welcome Casey O'Brien. Okay. So hi, everyone. I'm a first year medical student at Dartmouth Medical School. So for keyword there is first year. So I'm not authorized to speak on any of these matters, but I've learned a lot just growing up and in my first couple months at medical school. And I'm happy to come talk about health and millennial health because there's a lot of questions out there and a lot of unanswered questions out there. And I'm happy to be a resource. Casey, what first interested you in working in healthcare? So not to be cliche, but I actually always wanted to be a doctor. When I was two years old, I had an anatomy doll called the body that I brought around with me. And I literally would just take out his organs like on the playground. I was that kid. But I really, I've always liked science and helping people and medicine is just the perfect intersection of that. So I, it was really no question when I was growing up what I wanted to do. But quick question. Have you ever played Operation? Yes, I'm actually not very good at it, but it's been a couple of years. So who knows? Who knows? Uh, are you going to specialize in any specific area of medicine? Yeah, eventually I will. So you decide that around your fourth year, but it's, you know, we go through all these classes and it's never a bad time to think about it. So right now I'm leaning towards pediatric oncology and I really like areas of medicine that we can push forward and cancer is a rapidly evolving field. So that's kind of what I want to do, but I love working with kids and it also doesn't hurt that the pediatric cancer cure rate is about 85%, which is a lot better than adult cancers. So I think that joy of, you know, making a family whole again is just really beautiful and something I would love to do. But who knows, you could have me on for a follow-up in a year and I'll be like, nope, I'm going to be a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. So who knows? We got time. (laughs) Off the top of your head, do you know the survival rate or not? What was the rate you said? It's like 85% cure rate for kids. What about for adults? It depends on the cancer. So for stage four colon cancer, the five-year survival is like 5%. For lung cancer, it's 20%. Um, For certain blood malignancies, it's like 90%. So it's, there's a very wide range, but in kids, most of the cancers tend to be like blood malignancies. And those are pretty curable in kids. I've all, I've heard too, that because kids have so much resilience, they're much more likely to overcome any sort of disease or bounce back, so to speak from an illness. Yeah, that's very true. Kids are really resilient. And that's one of the other reasons why I really want to work with them because it's just so amazing and they can go through all of this and make it normal. And I just think that's really impressive and inspiring. Oh, you're inspiring. <laughs> so, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> moving on. So how, how do you find a doctor and what's covered and what's not covered? Yeah. So if you have insurance, then most of the time your insurance provider will have a website that's pretty easy to navigate and you can find a provider near you that's within your network. And most insurance companies either require or encourage you to have a primary care physician. And that's like your point of access to the rest of the medical field. So it's who you see for your annual visits. It's who you touch base with if you have a concern and they'll be more familiar with you and they can refer you to see a specialist. And usually that referral is needed to get specialist care covered. So what is covered just depends on what 
your insurance policy is. For example, if you don't have dental included in your medical insurance, then a dentist visit wouldn't be covered. But if you do, then it would be. Or if I have a mole on my arm that I'm concerned about and I have an insurance company that needs a referral to see a specialist, like a dermatologist, and I just show up to the dermatologist and I'm like, hey, look at that mole, then that won't be covered by my insurance because I wouldn't have had my primary care say that that visit was necessary. So insurance, they like to save money as much as we do. So they only like to pay for things and reimburse people for things that are necessary. And that's why the primary care is kind of a point of contact who's like, yes, this is necessary. No, it's not, et cetera. And they, they help you navigate the crazy waters of where to go within the healthcare field. I really think it's interesting. And cynical me is just like, how do you decide you being the insurance company? What's necessary? I think a concerning mole is necessary. I just, I hate, ugh, I just hate the bureaucracy and how you have to, it's almost like basically you have to be almost dead in order to be like, I need this. Do you see now I have stage four melanoma. I need it. You know, ugh, yeah. it just makes Which- me really upset which I guess is why we all have to be super proactive about our health. Also, depending on our doctor, I've had doctors where I'm like, I'm having these issues. And then she goes, you're not dying. You're fine. Like smile. It's okay, girl. Like, bye. See you next time. And (laughs) I could do that. Oh my God. Give me a medical. If that's all it takes, I can do that. Well, plus the schooling. (laughs) Yeah. It's only, you know, four years, then residency. It's fine. You've mentioned, Uh, having a primary care physician is kind of your point of contact. I personally have always had one shout out Walpole pediatrics. Um, I literally had pediatricians is so embarrassing until I was like 19. And I was like, I think I need to switch. Um, But you don't want to Mine sent me a letter being like, please get out. You need an adult (laughs) doctor now. And I was like, okay. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Yeah. I had one until I was 19 and they were like, we, and then I was sitting next to like two-year-olds in the waiting lobby. And I was like, this is embarrassing. So you mentioned a primary, primary care physician. So I'm asking this as someone who is typically and have been in like a very lucky and privileged place to have a primary care physician for most of my life, but why should you get one? What are the benefits of having a doctor that you develop a relationship with? And why should you get a physical every year? Because I know so many people that don't get physicals every year. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Uh, primary care is something that not only are they like the barrier to getting you in other places in the healthcare fields, like if you have a mole and you need to see a dermatologist, they're the person who gets you there insurance wise, but also whether or not you even need to see a dermatologist because you still have to do a copay, et cetera, if it is covered. So, you know, they're saving you money that way as well. And I think it's really important to have a physician who you have a good relationship with. Health is very personal. And, you know, if you're more comfortable with that person, it's just going to be easier for you to talk about these things. And then if they know you better, like they've been with you for the past five years, they'll just be able to tell how serious something is or not. Like, for example, if I just met a friend yesterday at a coffee shop and today I'm going through a life crisis, am I going to text that person that I met yesterday for questions or should I text my best friend from high school who's known me for years and knows all these things about me? So that's kind of the rationale for that. They'll, um, We'll just be so much more familiar with your health and like when a complaint it from you is really a complaint and just having that relationship is good for them and it's good for you. And for, on the annual physical end of things, 
it's so important to get your annual physical because so many things can change as we get older and we may not see it like hypertension. They call it the silent killer because you don't have any symptoms. And if you don't go to the doctor's office, no, no one takes their blood pressure at home, but it's really important to know what your blood pressure is because it can affect every, every organ in your body. And you wouldn't know that unless you had you know, a doctor to take your blood pressure. So that's like one of the things, but also getting your flu shots, keeping up to date with screenings, especially as we get older, we're going to have to do mammograms, colonoscopies, all those things. And it's their job to remember when we're up for that. And they'll help us remind us of when we need to get those done. We're busy. It's not our jobs to keep track of our health screenings. That's what your doctor's for. Actually don't remember the last time I had a physical (laughs) And I don't remember the last time my doctor called me to say, hey, you need this done. Are they supposed to do that? Uh, I think it's more you get reminded of it at your visit. There's a thing in a chart that like if you come up on the chart. So if you don't have a visit, Kathy, you're not going to get reminded. (laughs) Yeah, I hope this inspires you to get a doctor and go get an annual physical sooner rather than later. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It's Canada, too. So it's totally different, right? Like my my physician is back home. I go off my parents' insurance in a month. <laughs> um, and then I don't have insurance. It's fine. And I just haven't seen her because, well, we've been in a panorama for the last year. And then before that, it would be so difficult because she's booked like a year in advance, which I understand. You know, I'm not always home. And they call me like a week before and be like, hey, you have this thing. And I'm like, oh, I scheduled that when I didn't know a date. And I just pulled one out of my butt. Okay. Sometimes I go, I probably even had a physical in like a year or two. I think it gets more important as we age, like high blood pressure. It's, you know, we're in our twenties, that kind of thing. But when you're like 35, that becomes really important to get your blood pressure checked annually to make sure that everything's okay. But people can develop high blood pressure at any time in their lives. So it can never hurt. And other health issues, you know, health is something that you can't predict. And it's just really important to keep an eye on it, to catch everything early before it becomes super detrimental. So sometimes you would need to see a specialist, but they can oftentimes, especially if you don't have insurance, they're a little bit expensive. Is there anything called like, is there, are there affordable doctors out there? (laughs) I think that for most things, your primary care physician, if you have one is going to be the cheapest option or say an urgent care facility. If it's something that maybe needs to be looked at, like sooner rather than later, but isn't, I need to go to the emergency room because I'm profusely bleeding from my chest. You know, don't go to urgent care for that. Don't go to your primary care for that. (laughs) But if it's something that you're really concerned about, you know, they are, there are minute clinics, there are urgent cares that might be able to point you in the right direction. But my biggest advocate is for a, a, primary care physician who knows you. And if you don't have access to that, there might be free clinics in your area that you could look into. Um, you know, we do try to get as many people healthcare as possible, but that afford the affordable thing is very tough. It's an expensive field. It is, but you don't set the prices. The insurance. Unfortunately we don't. I know. I wish we did. If doctors did, they'd be like, it's free. And they'd be like, but you need to get paid. And you'd be like, no, it's free. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do need to pay off my loan, so it can't be free free, but good point. Good point. So when people go off their parents' insurance at 26, this is in the U S and can't get insured through their job. Um, what are some options for them? I know you're not an insurance person. I understand that, but I just wanted to throw that question on there. 
No, I'm turning 26 next year. And my dad told me that we got to start thinking about it because I'm currently on my parents' insurance. Um, it, it is definitely a tough situation, but because of the Affordable Care Act, we are able to get private insurance that is easier to access and is subsidized by the government. So if you go to healthcare.gov, once you're 26 or nearing 26, maybe look at it in like January of the year you turn 26 or springtime, then Whoops. you can get a good idea. <laughs> It's okay. It's fine. Co because of COVID, they've extended all the deadlines. Don't worry about it. And it has like this really easy access way for you to look at plans and get signed up. And it's just, it's kind of like a shopping mall for insurance policies. So there are just like private purchasable options for you. And if it's not through your employer, then it's not coming out of your paycheck, which means that that portion of your paycheck just would go to a private insurance that you buy. Wow. Okay. Good Fun fact for you. Healthcare.gov. <laughs> it's on there. It's on the resource section now. If somebody needs to see a dentist or an eye doctor and they aren't covered by insurance, like, are there any pay, do some doctors do payment plans? Like what is the best way to navigate that? Any uh, dentist office or optometry office would probably just have a billing center that would work with you on a payment plan and figuring that out. But if say you're shopping for health insurance, like you're nearing 26 and you know, you have vision problems. I mean, all of us have glasses on. So I know that I need eye insurance. Then I would look for a plan that includes eye insurance. Or if I've had a history of a lot of cavities, then I would look for a plan with dental insurance. I think that finding a plan that fits your needs so far, obviously we can't predict the future, but I can say for certain that my eyes aren't suddenly going to get better. So I will always need eye insurance, that kind of thing. But they don't, they want you to get healthcare. That's the end of it. They don't want to have unhealthy people running around feeling like they can't come in. So they'll, they'll work with you. And I'm sure those there's payment plans set up for people who don't have insurance to cover it, but really need that care. I've heard so many sad stories of people either knowing they're injured or knowing they're hurt or knowing they're sick. And they're either like, I can't miss work or I don't have insurance or I can't afford it. And it's just, it's so sad. That's good to know that when you go on the website, you can kind of pick and choose what you want. I thought it was just pretty standard, but it's good to know that you have options when you choose. Yeah. I haven't done it myself, but I had a roommate who went through finding a private health insurance company that she was able to pick, you know, one of the cheaper options because she's very healthy and she felt that she didn't need dental or eye care and boom, she picked out the perfect plan for her and it worked out. There is hope after all. <laughs> so what is the best way to speak up about your health? Let's say if a doctor isn't taking you seriously. Yeah, that's really hard. And that's something that I've definitely dealt with in the healthcare system. And a lot of women have, I think that, we just really need to drive it home. You can say, look, I'm having these problems. I know my body. I know I'm having these problems. And I, re you can just be blunt and just be like, I really feel like you're not listening to me. These are the problems I'm having. I'm not making it up. I'm not a hypochondriac. And I really need this taken care of. And if they still don't listen, it's always okay to say, I want to see another doctor or say it's a male doctor. And maybe it's about menstrual cramps that you feel are too much. Then you can say, I really want to see a female doctor. I'm not comfortable having this conversation. So you can get your voice heard and your concerns heard because that is so important. And so often 
doctors can get on a one track mind of like, you know, this is a healthy 25 year old girl. There's probably nothing wrong with them. And I have 15 more patients because that's the unfortunate situation of healthcare right now is it's a lot about timing and 15 minute visits and that kind of thing. So really just try to speak up for yourself and always, always don't be afraid to ask for what you want. Really push. It's, it's what they're there for. And just make, make it known that that's what they're there for. I mean, I personally would never have a male doctor look at my vagina. That's just me. Cause I'm like, I think, you know what, if you're a male gynecologist, I don't trust you. Like just saying like, why do you want, why <laughs> out of all the things, why would you choose that? Hmm. Hmm. Anyways. Hey, OB guys get to deliver babies. It's a miracle of life. That's true. But like, I don't want a guy doing a pap smear, you know? I don't, I actually had to go to the ER once for some like um, menstrual issues and the doctor I had was just so awkward about it. It just made me more uncomfortable. He's just like, yeah, so we did, we did the test. You're fine. You can go home, take some Advil. <laughs> then I just go home crying like what's wrong with me? <laughs> That's awful. My gosh. Um, so it is possible to break up with a doctor and you kind of talked about how you do it. When is it time to do it? Like, are there other instances besides your doctor, which is very important, obviously, isn't listening to you? Is there any sort of red flags or are there, when is it a good time to break up with your doctor? I think that if you don't trust your doctor, then for whatever reason, it might just be that you had a bad feeling. I, you know, no judgment, but if you don't trust your doctor, then that's not going to be a good relationship to get your health to where you want it to be. So if you at any point feel that your doctor is untrustworthy for whatever reason, it's not going to be good for you. And they're not going to be able to help you to the level that you want to be helped. So that's one really good reason for it. Another is if they're not listening to you, or I think a third would be if, if they ever make you uncomfortable in any way. If they ask you something that you feel is a little too over the line and they don't listen to your concerns about that and that makes you uncomfortable, then get a new doctor. There are lots of doctors out there, fortunately. Well, in urban areas, at least, there is a doctor shortage in some parts of the US at least. So if you have those options, then if the situation's not productive, then get out. That's kind of the best advice for friendships, relationships, doctors. This is your 20s. This is the time to do that. (laughs) If there is some sort of ethical violation, if there's an ethical violation, if your doctor makes a pass at you, if a doctor is creepy, if, you know, there's any sort of thing that's a violation of their Hippocratic oath, where can you, is there like doctor jail? Like who do you, like, who do you report to? Is there someone you can talk to about it? Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I can almost guarantee you that there's some sort of ethics committee that would look over any of these complaints and not sure where to go for that, but doctors can be put on probation. They can get their licenses suspended. So I know that there's some channel to get there, but I don't know how to get there. That is a good follow-up. So uh, I'm curious, what are there situations like besides the obvious like heart attack or stroke where people should just go straight to the emergency room? Yeah, I mean, heart attacks can be very elusive. So if you have, you know, difficulty breathing, nausea, maybe a little bit of chest discomfort, it's not always the things we see on TV, the clutching of your chest, your left arm is going numb. That's doesn't have to be the classic sign of a heart. I mean, it is in some people, but in other people's, it presents in very different ways. So 
if there's anything that suddenly goes wrong, you suddenly get abdominal pain, you suddenly get vision changes, you pass out, you've never passed out before, things that are just sudden, really big events like those, you want to go to the ER. And if you're not sure, most doctor's offices have a 24-hour on-call nurse, and that's kind of what they're there for, is you'll call and you'll be like, look, I'm getting this pain in my abdomen. I don't know what's going on. It woke me up in the middle of the night. And they'll say, okay, go to the ER. You'll kind of know when there's something that bad. If something is so painful, it wakes you up in the middle of the night. You've never had that pain before. Go to the ER. It's like instinctual. You'll know, oh my goodness, there is something wrong with me. And I need to go to the emergency room right now. Listen to that instinct. It's there for a reason. Um, In Canada, we have something called telehealth, where if you have an issue and you're not sure, if you can go to the if you should go to the hospital, just give them a call. Right now, it's a really long wait time. It's about three hours, but it's still worth a shot. It's still worth calling because um, it could save you a trip. Uh, our insurance actually has um, something called Dialogue, which is a app where you can actually avoid going to the doctor and you can do consultations with nurse practitioners online. When is it time to call 911 and have an ambulance come to your location versus go to the emergency room? Because those are two very different things. When in doubt, call 911. That's the biggest thing. The dispatchers are there to say, okay, I don't think you need an ambulance, but we can send one if you want. Are you able to drive? We can do that. I think your your health is the number one most important thing. So if if your partner passes out at home they're unable to wake up and you have no idea what to do. You can't pick them up and carry them to the car, you know, and you don't want to hurt them doing so. You don't know why they passed out. Call 911. If you're home alone and you're having sudden chest pains, call 911. Don't get in a car. Those kinds of things where it comes on suddenly, you have no idea what's going on and you're scared, just call 911. That's that's what they're there for are those moments. If you have abdominal pain with a fever, you feel like you can drive. Okay. Could be like appendicitis or something like that, but you're probably going to be in too much pain to drive. Might as well just call 911, have a ride in the ambulance, but the dispatchers will kind of be able to walk you through that. That's, that's what they're there for. I'm curious. Cause um, I've heard some things that if um, someone is passed out, like you shouldn't touch them. You shouldn't try to move them. You should try to leave them. Seizure too. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I think seizure, you have to try supporting their Side. head, right? Seizure support, what I've heard is, C- Casey, tell me if I'm wrong. This is what I was taught in my first aid training. You hold their head so they don't thrash around or you put like a pillow under them. Do not put anything in their mouth, including your fingers, because they can look like people when they have seizures, Kathy, sometimes they'll bite their tongues off because like they're ch- chomping down so hard. I also uh-huh. heard, try to see if you can time the seizure. So see when it started. So you know when it stopped and just kind of like, hold their head, make sure they're not thrashing around and just like, let it, let it pass because yeah. there's nothing you can really do. And then I know when someone's passed out, especially if they're sick or drunk, turn them on their side um, and don't leave them alone. No, never leave them alone. Um, yeah. With seizures, you're right on the ball. If you can turn them on their side, that's even better because that way, if you know, something is in their mouth, perhaps it won't go down the wrong way and their tongue will go to the side of their mouth, but just, yeah, hold their head pillow and time the seizure. That's, that's everything that the paramedics and the doctors are going to want to know. Honestly, like if you can get first aid and CPR training, do it. It's, I got it because I worked at a daycare. So we had to get it every year. It is so worth the money. I, I knock on wood have never had to do it on someone, but knowing it, or even just telling my friends, like 
Kevin, whenever we watch stuff, I'm like, this is how you do it. It's really not hard and it literally can save people's lives. So if anyone out there is thinking, I know with COVID it's different, but if you have the option to take CPR and first aid, do it. Take it, especially if your work pays for it because it's free. Also too, it's like, you can put that on your resume. It's great. If you work with kids, it's just, it's honestly so good to have. It's just, it's little things or even learning how to do the, the heart. What's it called? Where you put the little things on the chest and it shocks them. Cardio EKG. Nope. Cardio version. My EKG is when they put the leads on you and they have the lines, but it doesn't shock you. No, you're right. You're right. Yep. You're absolutely. This is why you're on. This is why I'm here. I just finished my cardio block. Can can read an AKG now. You know what? They can't read it on medical (laughs) shows. So I always love like Dr. Michael watch medical shows and he's like, that's just lines. Like it doesn't even symbol anything. Or in Grey's Anatomy, they shock when people are flatlined. You can't shock when people are flatlined. That's not how it works. That's not Wait, okay. When, okay. When people are flatlined, does that, what does that mean? Does that mean there's no detectable heartbeat? It means they have no electrical activity in your, in their heart. So what generates your heartbeat is this whole electric system. And that's why we shock people when their hearts go in wonky because it restarts the electric rhythm of your heart. So when there's a flat line, that means there's no electric activity and it's really hard to come back from flatline. That doesn't really happen that often. Like 5% of the time it happens. I thought we just shock them. <laughs> Moving on again, like more health issues because we're not taught this stuff. What are appropriate times to disclose health issues or concerns and when are not? So if you're at a job interview, are jobs allowed to ask you for health concerns? If you're interviewing there, if you just got hired, when, when are people allowed to ask you about your health? So they can ask you at any time. You just don't have to answer. So they can't get any health information from you without your permission. Um, It's always best to disclose it if it's something that they need to adapt the office for. Like, let's say some days you have to use a wheelchair. And that's something that's important for them to know to make sure they give you a desk maybe close to the elevator or something like that. Or if you have an issue with standing on your feet for a certain amount of time and you just need to sit every couple of hours, that's something to let you know, jobs know, but unless it interferes with the work that you are doing, I don't think you need to tell them, but obviously it's a case to case basis. And if at any time you feel like maybe I should tell them, like I might have to take some leave. I might have to do some appointments next week. You could say this might be an ongoing issue. And then there's like things that you can fill out. Like in the U S we have the FMLA. It's like family medical leave act that sounds right. Family Medical Leave Act. And if it's you or a member of your family that has a medical issue, you can fill that out and it works with your job to help like get time off. But they cannot ask for a health record. They can't ask for any of that. But there are things that could disqualify you from getting a job. For example, it was like the British Army. If you've had more than one seizure after the age of six, you can't enlist. So it's things like that, that, that really matters in. But if you're just a quote unquote run of the mill job, like a desk job, teacher, you know, sales manager, those kinds of things, if it's not going to interfere, they don't need to know. They don't need to know. What about mental health? It's kind of the same thing. If it's going to interfere with your job, then that's something they could be aware of. And you don't have to tell them what the issue is. You could just say, I have a health issue that may keep me from coming into work one day every couple of weeks, you know, whatever 
you feel is comfortable to let them know, but they don't need to know. They don't need to ask unless it's really going to interfere with their work. Then, you know, maybe you should tell them, but you could tell them after you get the job. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) So uh, where can people look at their health chart to see their test results, their blood type and everything else? I would say every doctor's office or hospital has some sort of electronic healthcare system that you can log into and see your chart. And there it'll have visit summaries, like doctor's notes, like they write in your chart. They say this like writing as if we write in charts anymore. It's all typed. It's all on the computer now, unless you're in maybe the middle of nowhere. I don't know. I've never been to the middle of nowhere. New Hampshire is pretty desolate. Um, But you can see all those things on those e-charts. And usually when you go into the doctor's office, they'll give you a sheet of paper that's like an after visit summary. And on the back of that or up in the corner, it'll have instructions on how to sign into that. And it has all that information. Blood type is a little different because I don't think they take it when you're bored anymore. I don't know my blood type. I don't know it. And I want to know it. And I don't know how I know it. I don't know my blood type. I didn't know mine until I gave blood. I had no idea. But when you get blood, they give you like a bag ID number that your blood is in. And you just call them back and say, hi, I'm donor from bag 15732. What's my blood type? And they'll tell you. So at work, we had, so I work in events, Casey, and we had um, someone come. It was, um, oh, it was Canadian Blood Services. And they came because I think it was a really, they're having a big blood donating drive. And I asked, and they say they get asked this all the time. And I wish this is how it could be because I, I once passed out at a doctor's office from getting my finger pricked. Like I'm that bitch, but I told them I was sitting there and I've known them forever because I was, I've been there since I was born. And I was like, I'm going to pass out. And I woke up and there were like five doctors around me and I was on the ground. They were like, you told us we were ready. And they were like, this is the best place to pass out. So I don't do giving blood, but I really was wanted to know. I said, why can't you give menstrual blood? The guy was like, we get asked that a lot. And it's because there's vaginal mucus and there's clumping and it's not the, it's not the same kind of blood that comes from your arm. Like it's not pure. He's like, I wish women could give menstrual blood because it would be a lot easier and I would do it. I don't, I don't know. Giving blood. Yeah. But even like taking blood, like even if it's just like a little vial, I'm a baby too. And I also, it doesn't help. I have really tiny veins. So I always have to kind of poke around a bit. And I've gotten blood taken so many times. And each time I'm always like, is this going to hurt? It's just a pinch, right? And they're like, are you good? I'm like, yeah. They go, do you need a juice box, a cookie? or You always need a juice box. Ask for the butterfly needle. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they like put it in, has little wings, and then they pinch them and it like pops right out of your arm and you don't feel it. When I, when I had my physical, I think it was two years ago, I had to get blood taken and probably one of the funniest words in the English language, the person that takes your blood is called a phlebotomist. I'm like, that's a great word. Um, this woman, she had a gift. She laid me down. They all told me, they said, Oh, who do you have? And I don't know. Let's say her name was Shelly or something. And they said, Oh, Shelly's great. Okay. So they lay me down. I looked over here. She put a curtain in front of my arm. So even if I looked, I couldn't see it. And the she did it. Obviously it hurt a little because you're getting a needle put in your skin, but I've had menstrual cramps that were worse than that. And she just put it in so gently and it was so nice. And then I just sat there and then 
she said, okay, I know you don't like giving blood. So stay here an extra 10 minutes. So I was like, no, I'm good. She's like, nope, you're going to sit there. And so I did, I stayed there an extra 20 minutes and I had juice and a little, and I think cookies or something. When should you see a specialist? When is a good time to see a dermatologist or an eye doctor, gynecologist for man, for, uh, people with penises, it's a urologist. Sounds right to me. Okay. I think, they, yeah. They just have a little bit. They they go across everybody, urologists, because that's your whole urinary tract. Everyone has a bladder, et cetera. But yeah, I think that's where people with penises go when they have issues down there. But I think at any point, if you feel that something's wrong with any part of your body, then you should go to your primary care first and make sure that it's an actual concern. Like I had these two bumps on my skin that I was convinced for skin cancer last summer. And I was like, oh my God, I've been tanning every day. These bumps are asymmetrical. I need to call my doctor. And, but it was after five o'clock. I was like, this is not an emergency. Woke up the next morning. They were super itchy. They were spider bites. So he would have just said, oh, well, you know, that is a little bit concerning. Why don't you come in? Say they didn't start itching. And he would have taken a look at them and been like, yeah, those are spider bites. You don't need to see a dermatologist. Whereas if I had just called a dermatologist, they would have been like, okay, we can see you in in three weeks. And then I would have been like, oh, well, you know, they're still spider bites. They're itchy, that kind of thing. So always just touch base with your doctor. That's what they're there for, your primary care doctor. And they'll tell you when to go, what, why you should go, et cetera. Um, but while we're on the dermatology thing, I feel like I need to say this for anyone. Wear sunscreen, please. Please. Okay. I do most of the time, but I still burn. You should reapply it every hour. This is my, my spiel. Sunscreen. Look at my skin. Sunscreen. I wear it every day. I wear it in the winter. Always wear sunscreen. But you know your skin really well. You know your freckles. And there's the ABCDEs of anything on your skin. So if it's a spot that's asymmetric, it like, you know, it's not a circle. It's like this weird little lima beam shaped or like has a lump on one side, etc. That's the A. Then the B is borders. If the outer edges are uneven and kind of ruffled, it's not like a nice clean circle, like a freckle would be. It's more like a something squiggly. Squiggles. If the whole outside is squiggles, that's not good. That's a border sign. If it's color, like if it's multiple colors or if it's really, really dark, like black, that can be concerning. And then diameter, if it's greater than, they just say that the pencil eraser, if it's bigger than that, it should be concerning or evolving. If it's growing or, you know, growing from one side or changing shape or changing color all the time, go to a dermatologist. Well, go to your primary and say, I have a giant mole that is black and changing color and shape. And they'll be like, okay, yep. We'll refer you right over there. So that's important. And sunscreen is very important, Genevieve. I know. So asymmetrical border. Asymmetry, border, color, diameter, and evolving. You know your body, you know your skin, you see it every day in the mirror. If something's changing that you feel like is abnormal, you know, go get it checked. Skin cancer, if caught early, is super preventable. You know, they just kind of cut it off and boom. When I was a kid, um, we read, do you guys know the book Freckle Juice? No. So there, there's this book called Freckle Juice. And then my teacher was like, who has freckles in the class? And everyone's like, Katerina. So then I got called Freckle Juice for a year. Freckles are cute. There are, there are I have a friend, not going to say who she is, but she listens. She knows who she is. 
she has put fake freckles on her face. I think yeah. it's so funny how yeah. people shit on you. And now there's filters with freckles. She did this. It turned out cool. It looked like real freckles the first time because you have to do it overnight and then it sinks in. So when she did it at first, she looked like raggedy Ann. You know, when people do fake freckles for like <laughs> Annie for their sixth grade show, that's what she looked like. They look great the next morning. But I think that's so funny that people teased you. Perhaps freckles are adorable. They really yeah, are. Freckles are adorable, but they're trendy, just like everything else. Eyebrows are in, eyebrows yeah. are out. Freckles are in, freckles are out. Apparently skinny jeans are out. I don't know. Apparently I'm not talking side about parts it. are out side parts yeah apparently but i just i don't look good with the center part i'm not switching to a center part no, no. one looks good with the right. center part except mariah carey truly you have to have like a perfectly symmetrical face to look good with a center part and i don't think all gen zers have a perfectly symmetrical face so they'll grow out of it so what are the three small things that have the biggest effect on your health yeah my big three are smoking and vaping that's a no-no always wear sunscreen and exercise. So with smoking, I mean, we're millennials. It's more our parents' generation who kind of got caught up into that. But there are millennials who smoke, and we do know that it's bad for you based off all the commercials that you know everyone puts out, the signs on the train, etc. But a lot of people think that vaping is less bad for you, but we have no idea if vaping is less bad for you. We have no idea what the long-term consequences are going to be. And there's already been incidents of really bad lung damage from people who vape. So if you have to inhale something, I guess vaping, but moral of the story is your lungs are pretty fragile and just don't inhale things. Um, it's just not great for you. Even, you know, just smog, sawdust, you know, don't, when you're cutting wood, breathe through your nose those kinds of things. Protect your lungs. They're, you only get one set. Can they re not regrow, but can they bounce back? No. Well, once so, they're done, they're done. Yeah. So you can regenerate some cells of the lung, but you're never going to regrow a whole lung. You're, it's not like your liver. It's just not going to happen, you know? So just take really good care of it because if you permanently damage your lung, you're never getting it back. And the wait for a lung transplant is really long and it's just not something you want to do. You really only get one set of lungs. Do not inhale things, please. I keep getting, yeah. when I watch YouTube lately and I have never vaped, I smoked a little, I haven't smoked in like over two years. I don't do that. I didn't even do it a lot, but when you live in Scotland for a month, everyone smokes in Europe and I did it drinking socially, whatever. But now I'm like, mm -mm, not good. Um, but lately when I watch YouTube, I'm getting all of the anti-vaping ads from like, from the government of Canada, which is great. I'm glad they have them, but I also want to tell them I'm not the right audience. I don't vape. I think it's stupid. At least you look kind of cool smoking. Yeah. Vaping just looks stupid. Yeah. I know. Bad message. Bad message. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, but the thing though about vaping is that they make it, they market it so well towards kids because they have so many different. It's flavors. juice. Like it's raspberry, mango. watermelon, coconut. Yeah, but people don't really see how dangerous it is. Like I, I saw something on, um, I think it was on Reddit that this girl, um, she from vaping, she got a parasite in her lung, and they had no idea what it was. Like they had no idea why she was in like, you know, so much pain until there's a video of um, the little parasite like swimming in the little like fluid of a jewel pod. 
So don't vape, guys. That's fucking disgusting. Parasites? Also, like, don't walk around barefoot because they there are parasites that get in through your feet and then can go to your lungs. Like what? This I hate this what? stuff, but it also fascinates me. Tell you us about these. You don't want to be fascinated by it. It's kind of nasty. Tell us about these feet I, parasites. Yeah, yeah I they need just to know more. They go up through your feet. So these feet parasites. Yes. So strongyloids is one of these feet parasites that can get in through your feet, and it has like a whole life cycle through your liver, and then it can migrate to your muscles and cause muscle pain. Sorry, a life so don't cycle. Do that. Yeah, they have. They live their. They live their life through you. That's kind of what a parasite is. Is they kind of need you to survive and they use your body to reproduce how do you know if you have a parasite you look for stool changes that's i mean honestly that should be one of my big three is look for stool changes your stool can tell you a lot about you know how healthy you are and if anything's going on uh, if there's blood in your stool call your doctor if your stool is too dark call your doctor if you have ongoing diarrhea call your doctor if you have stool that floats immediately and is kind of yellowy call your doctor so there's just a couple of big things that are in your stool that can tell a lot of information about your health also i've heard if you lose a lot of weight rapidly yeah that's like one and if you ever lose a lot of weight for no apparent reason call your doctor you're like, oh, wow, I look really good. Wait a minute. I've been eating pizza every day and not going to the gym, but I've dropped 10 pounds. Mm, go to the doctor. Don't, don't smoke. Vape. Don't vape. Don't walk barefoot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just be careful with your body. You only get one. Um, always wear sunscreen. <coughs> Genevieve. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Just like, you know, don't panic if you get a sunburn. It happens. Your skin does regenerate. But some at some point. Your luck's going to run out. time is a summer to the point where it peels. Nope. That's so bad for you. I know. I'm I not, I'm saying some, this. Like 100 SPF I know. reapply every I've heard hour. that. I've heard that SPF, an, another med- medical question. I've heard SPF is bullshit and after 35, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's probably pretty true. I don't know the science behind it, but I've heard it enough that it's probably true. When you do dermatology, Casey, you call me. Yes, I will. I will. You can have me on for a follow-up once I finish all my classes. <laughs> but like, how do you know your sunburn is so bad? You need to go to, you need to get it checked. I've had sun poisoning before. It was horrendous. It was the yeah, sickest. Yeah, you vomit. It was the sickest I've oh, ever wow. felt. So what are common misconceptions young people have about their health and doctors or the overall healthcare industry? Yeah, I think it's really important that especially young people with the internet and influencers and all of this is to know that there's such a wide range of normal. Normal is not one defined anything. Height, weight, exercise capacity, et cetera. There's just a very wide range and it's up to your doctor to determine kind of what your normal range is for you for all of these things. And another thing that I love to plug is size does not mean health. Someone can be really skinny and they can be really unhealthy. It doesn't mean anything about their exercising at all. It doesn't mean anything. So keep that in mind when you're scrolling through Instagram or TikTok or whatever the kids are doing these days is there's such a wide range of normal. And just because you don't fit one picture doesn't really say anything about you health-wise, body-wise, everything. As long as your diet is healthy and well-balanced, you know, vegetables, vitamins, proteins, et cetera, then you're going to, you're going to be fine. Especially growing up, it's like, this is the size you should be. And I feel like it's only now where 
it's actually being talked about saying, no, you don't need to be this size. Like no size is a healthy size. Your size is a healthy size. If you're healthy. That's so true. And it's so important right now with that wide access to Instagram influencers and TikTok influencers. Also, they all fucking use Photoshop. I don't care what they say. Exactly. Nothing is real. real. Yeah. But beyond that, like I'm not hating on plastic surgery at all, but a lot of them do get work done. They get Brazilian butt lifts. They get, you know, lipo and everything. And it's like, it's totally fine if that's what makes them happy. But you need to be realistic. They also can afford to have trainers and gyms in their home and nutritionists. Personal chefs. It also, good point. It also, this isn't, I don't want this to come off the way it's going to sound, but when you are a celebrity or an actor or something, you are paid to look a certain way. It is oftentimes part of your job to look the way you look. Do you have any other misconceptions? Yeah. Don't use WebMD. Um, when you search for health problems <laughs> on the internet, please do not go to Dr. WebMD. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a useful resource, but it can oftentimes get people to be a bit panicked. So I would use Medline Plus, which is a government run site that they don't pay for, they don't pay Google to put them at the top like WebMD does. So people don't see it when they search. Why do I have a headache? Is having a headache for five days abnormal? That kind of thing. So use Medline Plus. They have like a kid section too for if you work with parents or anything that is really good at informing like on kids health and yeah, cannot recommend it enough. It is way better than WebMD and a headache does not mean a brain tumor on that website. So yeah, I feel like just Googling (laughs) symptoms period is just a recipe for panic and disaster. It just all ends in death or cancer, everything. Yeah. Yeah, Doctor internet is. Yeah. A lot of people think that going to see a doctor is kind of out of their reach or too much time or not worth it because I'm healthy and whatever. And I think that it's so important to see a doctor because you might be healthy until you're not. That's how we all are. We're all healthy until we're not. And some people are healthy until they're 103 and others are healthy until they're five. I mean, there's no telling when your health is going to go downhill, no matter what genetics play a huge factor, lifestyle, everything in your life plays a huge factor in your health and you can't control all of that. So get a doctor, go see a doctor, take care of yourself and watch your health. And the best way to watch your health is by regular doctor's visits. So what would you say to somebody who's had bad experiences with doctors and now they kind of have a fear of doctors or they're not quite sure how to reach out to them anymore. Yeah, that's totally understandable. A lot of people have had bad experiences and a lot of people have bad experiences with like boys, let's say, but no, most people don't stop dating. You know, it's kind of that mindset that not everyone is a bad doctor and sure you're going to find doctors that you think are bad or you don't vibe with or anything, but, and that's okay. They're there's bad people in every profession. So it's okay to find a doctor that you like and that you trust. And it's okay to go to several until you find one that you like. So a doctor can be like a restaurant, ask your friends for recommendations. Who do you go to? Who do you like? Just ask around. And now with the internet, there's you know ratings of doctors and everything. You can read the reviews of doctors and use the same caution that you do when looking at Amazon reviews, you know, that kind of thing. But 
yeah, ask around, find a doctor that works for you. It's totally understandable to have bad experiences with doctors, but I don't think that means we should give up on the profession itself. All right. Any gross stories or weird stories you want to tell us before we wrap up? I can't say I have any yet, uh, but anything that has to do with an eye, I'm running in the other direction. I don't like when things penetrate eyes. I don't like eye surgery. I don't like looking at them. Mm -mm. We don't do a lot of eyes. That's like optometry. Like we'll touch on it and narrow, I think. But I know someone who had a corneal abrasion and it was the worst pain they've ever been in. (gasps) Always take your contacts out at night. Don't sleep in your contacts. You can like, if you take it out, you can take off part of your cornea with the contact and it's really painful. You'll know, you'll know. It'll be the worst pain you've ever experienced. Unless you've given birth to a child. How do you take off your cornea? How does it get stuck? Because if it dries out, (gasps) it dries out in your eye. But your cornea is the fastest growing tissue in your body. So it will come back. How fast does it grow? Do you know? I do not know. It's okay. I'm sorry. I keep asking you a question. You don't know. (laughs) It's okay. I'm only a first year medical student. (laughs) No, it's good. You know more than I ever will. (laughs) I had a crazy infection where my face swelled up like to twice its size because I had an infection in my salivary gland. And that was the one time that I've been to the ER that I was like, I need to go to the ER. Like I'd fallen in skating, thought I broke something, went to the ER for an x-ray, wasn't broken. With this, I my face was like out to here and it was like growing down my neck and I woke up and I felt like I couldn't breathe. Why'd and you have an I called infection? my mom the T, the MBTA. That's what my doc, the doctors think. Cause they were like, what about your routine change? For those that don't know the M- yeah, the MBTA is like the transit in Boston. Yeah. I had just moved to the city and started taking the train and I mean, the bus instead of the train. And they were like, yeah, that'll do it. Mm-hmm. How did the infection go to your neck? Well, uh, bugs like to live in certain places. So like they will like the top of your lung, the base of your lung, the salivary gland, your gut. Like there's a reason that you get infections like where you get them. And whatever I had just really liked my salivary gland, the environment there. So it lived there, was very happy there. And then my lymph nodes started backing up. Um, So it was just the whole side of my face was giant. And I was in the ER for like three days. That's terrifying. That sounds so painful. It was very painful. I had to get a lot of pain meds. It was the worst pain I've ever been in in my life. And I I will stand by that until I give birth to a child, if I ever give birth to a child. What is one thing you wish young people were taught about their health and how to take care of themselves? Knowing that there's a wide range of normal and that some things are normal and some things are not. And just kind of how to tell that distinction, which not everyone knows and it's different for everyone, but just knowing when to know your body. So get to know your body, get to know when something's wrong with your body and don't be afraid to call a doctor. You're never bothering them. That's their job. Oh, and also always tell your doctor everything, like everything. You come in with a fever and they're like, well, have you changed anything in the last couple of weeks? You can say, I went and got ice cream at a farm. Like, and that's something that could be important. There are things, there are bugs that you can pick up on farms that you can't pick up anywhere else. So tell them all the information and they'll weed through the information and figure out the important stuff, but always tell them everything. Tell them if you have eight glasses of wine a night, we're not here to judge. We are here to just help you. And all the information is important. Before you go, we ask all of our guests the same question. What is the most adult thing you've done this week? Well, I'm doing FAFSA. Does that count? Got to fill out that. You have to explain FAFSA to the Canadians. 
Oh, yes, Canadians. So it's basically <laughs> your you and your parents' entire financial history, which they have already online through the IRS, which you still have to fill in every little detail. And it's a really long and boring form, and I need to get it so that I can get my $92,000 of loans every year. I am learning so much about the American healthcare system, school system. Yes, there's a reason why there's a doctor shortage, and one of that is that med school is so expensive. Good luck with FAFSA. It sucks. Thank you. I hope to never have to do it again. We believe in you. Um, Casey, thank you so much for coming on Society of Grownups. Before you go, is there anything you want to promote? Are there any like projects you're working on you want to tell us about? Anything else? Wear your sunscreen. Don't vape. Don't smoke. Exercise when you can. Take care of your body. You only get one. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This was great. Yay. Good. I'm glad you had a good time. You've been listening to Society of Grownups. I'm Genevieve. I'm Kathy. And we will catch you next Monday. Bye. Bye, guys.